And this is Rational Hour, yeah. Is it Rational? Yeah. I'm in the game when it's crunch time. Yeah. I call the play like the coach do. Tell them boys they can't touch my leap. example the way I'm supposed to. I got more reason a little bit, a little more than a lot. Only compare me to Bill, a better you feel. I'm sick of the skills. All I'm perfecting, I put them all on blast. Rational Hour, it's more than a podcast. Follow on Twitter, get done with the move. It's Friday night, and this is how we do it. Let's keep it objective, I'm talking statistics. Executive none, we're ethic ridiculous. I'm on a job, grind the pine. Wash King, while I'm still in my prime. Prime time when I'm on live, I just intercepted another bag. Homegrown, like a month apart, ain't hard to tell you a bad man. The game plans like a suspect. Get your coach's death, you do better. If you knew better, you do better. We're in a winning streak, we ain't losing. Never, never, never. And this is Rational Hour. Home run like a month apart, ain't hard to tell you, Batman. Said this is Rational Hour. If you knew better, you do better. We're in a winning streak, we ain't losing never. Welcome to the Rational Hour, Ryan. On today's show, we have an NFL vet in the building. This former NFL All Pro has looked the way for many great running backs in the game, like Larry Johnson, Adrian Peterson, Priest Hall, Thomas Jones, the list goes on. Rational Hour, please help me welcome Kansas City Chiefs Hall of Fame running back, Tony Richardson. How are you doing, sir? Man, I'm doing great, man. Thanks so much to, uh, you know, having this opportunity to come on the show. It's, uh, it's kind of a gloomy, uh, rainy day. The, uh, the Mets actually, I mean, the Yankees got canceled tonight, so I'm just, uh, kind of hanging out because there's no baseball on right now. So <laughs> it's actually a good day. Yeah, yeah, I heard about that. Now, now, Tony, um, uh, let's just start off with your, can you talk about your family and your upbringing? I know your father, Ben Richardson, was a sergeant major, and you kind of grew up in Germany. Can you talk about what it was like? Like having life in a military dad and your family background? Yeah, you know, that's actually, that's obviously a very, uh, uh, something I love talking about. So every time I get a chance to, you know, say thank you for my, to my parents and for the, you know, structure and life they, they provided me, which, you know, been pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, I was actually, um, I was actually born in Frankfurt, uh, Frankfurt, Germany. So my dad, uh, was stationed there. So I was there for two, I was in Germany for two years and then we moved to El Paso, Texas. And then from El Paso, Texas, we moved to, uh, from El Paso, Texas, we moved to, uh, well, from, we moved to, we were in Germany for two years, and we moved to El Paso, Texas for three, back to Germany for three, and then Fort Knox, Kentucky for three, and then back to Germany for three, and then finally in Alabama. So, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, I don't regret it at all. Only thing I guess I do have regrets about, you know, growing up in that type of structure, like I have zero childhood friends, but also mm-hmm. it really taught me how to, you know, I guess not necessarily reinvent yourself, but every two to three years I was always a new kid. And I was always having to stand up in front of the school and say, hey, my name is Tony Richardson. You know, I'm from such and such and such and such. So now I think that's what helps me in my current job and also building relationships because, you know, once I meet someone, you know, I build a bond with them because I don't have a lot of, like like I said, no childhood friends. And so, yeah, my dad did uh, 32 years, uh, Vietnam veteran, uh, Purple Heart. And then my sister followed in his footsteps, and she did 28 years and four deployments. And so I have uh, – Two great uh, role models in my life that, uh, you know, really that I, I lean on all the time. Now, did you consider a military life for yourself? You know, I, I, it's funny. A lot of people ask me that. I kind of felt like I did serve in the military just because <laughs> they have, like, no no nonsense. And so, uh, you know, it's one of those things I, I considered it because I just, you know, I still, you know, my parents have been married for over 60-plus years. And for me oh. to have that influence and to see that, you know, like for me as a kid, you know, all I wanted to do was just get up when my dad had to be up at, you know, 3.34 o'clock in the morning. I wanted to help him get his uniform together. 
I wanted to help him do his boots, uh, all that kind of stuff because, wow. you know, I was just so proud of him. But for me, I think, you know, my dad was always education, education, education. And um, mm-hmm. and then, obviously, you know, I never played uh, organized football, actually, until I got to the ninth grade, tenth grade year, um, just because mm-hmm. in Germany, you know, it was soccer. So I grew up playing soccer. And so I think as football started to really kind of take off and, you know, uh, new coach in Alabama, and it kind of just kind of got that wheel spinning as far as um, opportunities, you know, to maybe get a college, college scholarship, and that's how I ended up at Auburn. Galesville, Alabama, what was life like in that area of uh, growing up? Uh, you know, it's funny. It's a culture shock because you got to imagine. I think it was a culture shock for when I showed up, and it was a culture shock for when I when I showed up. So basically, in, in, in a nutshell, you know, here I am. Here are my kids from uh, born in Germany. Speaking German, Afro, uh, looking at it, looking at me like, man, who the heck is this shit? So, uh, you know, it was it was definitely it was definitely different. And then that was the first time like really being in the South, and you know, kind of, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, the South is the South, and so you can all but what I even mentioned, you can kind of read between the lines. And so it was definitely different because I never had been in a situation where people judge you for the color of your skin because you know mm-hmm. you're in Germany. You know, it's like you just, I mean, you're just a foreigner. You know what I mean? But in Alabama, it's like, whoa, who's this kid? And so. You know, it's definitely a culture shock. Uh, it's a small town. And so every time, you know, I get a chance to talk to young people, to talk to kids, um, you know, it, you know, I just try to let them know, like, it's not about where you start, it's how you finish. And for me, we had, shoot, man, we had, we still in this town. They only got like two traffic lights. And I would say wow. my high school football team maybe had 20 kids. My graduating class had 100. So for me to get a full ride to Auburn was <laughs> nothing but an act of God. So, uh, you know, but it's good, man. It, it really, you know, really taught me a lot about, mm-hmm. you know, people. It taught me, you know, just, yeah. you know, how to, you know, and I like that. It was a close-knit town, and, you know, everybody knew everyone. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's bad. But, you know, it was, uh, yeah. it was, uh, you know, it was definitely a good experience. Tony, you were a part of those legendary Auburn teams, the 11 team in 93. Uh, such a rich tradition at Auburn. You know, War Eagle, Coach uh, Tuberville, Coach Dye, Coach Bowden, um, what are your thoughts of the current state of Auburn? Yeah, you know, it's kind of, we're kind of going through it right now. Um, you know, I was a huge supporter of uh, Coach Harson. And actually, I'm still a supporter, um, you know, because, I mean, you know how it is in the SEC. Um, you know, it's just, it's just tough. If you have an off year, if you have two off years, you know, the alumni is what generates, you know, and makes the decisions. And I know the alumni are rumbling right now, so I'm not quite sure how much longer uh, Coach Harson is, uh, is actually going to be there. But, you know, for me, I'm always going to root for my team. I'm always going to support, you know, whoever's in leadership. You know, I learned that from my dad. Just, you know, even like when you're talking about the leader of the country, it's like you might not mm-hmm. respect or you might not agree with what they're talking about, but also just respect the position. And so I kind of, you know, learned that at an early age. And so, you know, I respect him being the head coach. There are some things that I think that, you know, possibly can be done different, but that's why I'm doing the interview and I'm not coaching. So, <laughs> uh, But, you know, I, I support my guys. Like Cadillac Williams, you know, first round, I think he was a uh, yeah. – second pick overall, and we had Ronnie Brown. Ronnie does the radio uh, play-by-play for us when he does the radio broadcast with Stan White, who was my quarterback, and Cadillac is actually the running back coach. And so I guess the most disappointing thing is we got Tank uh, Busby um, down there, and he, and he came out, he was the number one running back in the country. And so to right. see him not be able to, you know, we are the number one five-star running back, and, you know, obviously Cadillac was very influential in getting him to come to Auburn. But for him not to have the success that, you know, that he should be having, it's very, very disappointing. Right. So, you know, but, you know, he, he, he stuck it through. I know at the beginning of the season, you know, with this new transfer portal, 
I didn't know if he was going to make it through the whole time, but, you know, he's still he's still plugging along and he's still playing hard. So hopefully we can get this thing turned around. Tony, what led you to Auburn? I know you said initially you didn't start playing football until you got to high school. Was your recruitment late, and how did you land in, at Auburn? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing was, uh, yeah, so I didn't, I mean, really the only reason I actually went out for football is because when I was, um, you know, growing up, I got, you know, I got bullied. I was the youngest of seven, so I caught it at home, but I definitely caught it at mm. school. So when I got to Alabama, you know, that was the first time that kids had really said, hey, man, you should come out for the football team. And so I wanted to fit in, and I was like, sure. Didn't know what in the world I was getting into. So I get to practice. They put all this stuff in my locker. I'm looking at it. I'm like, man, I don't know where none of this stuff go. I'm like, I have my knee pads and my hip, my hip pads and my butt. <laughs> Everything was all messed up. And, uh, you know, but once I kind of figured it out, then, you know, the first time I carried the ball, I think I was in the ninth grade, and I, we got the ball in the 20th. Uh, coming out, and I scored an 80 yard touchdown. I was like, man, this is kind of easy, you know what I mean? So, okay, okay. Uh, and, and it worked out. So, you know, things changed, and we got a new football coach, Coach Terry Swindle, and he totally changed the trajectory of the whole program. He got, you know, a new weight program, he got us a new gym, you know, I started playing different sports. And so, he came to me around my junior year, and he said, hey, Tony, if you work really hard, cause academically, I was, you know, doing well. He said, if you work really hard, you know, there's a, there's a good opportunity so you can get a football scholarship. And so that light came on because then I'm like, you know, my parents have given me everything that you could possibly give a young kid to be successful. And I was like, if I could take that financial burden off, then I want to do that. And so the recruiting train started, you know, uh, Florida State, Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, Georgia, like all the SEC schools. And, um, and so I went on that recruiting trip to Auburn, and it just, you know, it felt right. You know, I thought I was going to go to Florida State. I was funny. I was just with Dexter Carter. Um, the running back, wow. he was my hostess when I went to Alabama. I mean, when I went to Florida State. And he was like, mm-hmm. yeah, man, we thought we had you. I was like, man, y'all had nine running backs. I would have been number 10 on the depth chart. I was like, at Florida State, I knew I, was, I wasn't going to be playing yeah. no time soon. And, uh, yeah, they, they were deep at that time. Uh, yeah, they had Sammy White. They had Dexter Carter. I mean, Dion was there. They were, they were they, well, he was obviously a uh, uh, Lee. Yeah, Amp Lee, yeah, the whole crew. Yeah. And so, um, mm-hmm. so I ended up going to Auburn. And even then, I was far on the depth chart. And just bust my butt, and Coach Doc came to me. He was like, "Son, I don't know where you came from, but we got to find a place for you to play." So I ended up, you know, starting as a freshman and second running back to start as a freshman um, outside of Bo Jackson. So it it uh, it worked wow. out pretty well. Now, Tony at Auburn, you guys went 11 and 0 in '93. Great yeah. squad. Um, what were you hearing leaving Auburn um, going into the draft? Did you end up having um, uh, going to the combine or having like a pro day at Auburn? Yeah, so basically what happened is that year, um, that was our 11-0 season, and we were actually on probation um, with the Eric Ramsey uh, stuff. And it was a lot of that stuff happened, and we weren't, and we weren't, we were, it wasn't even, we weren't even in school. So a lot of stuff happened when I was in high school, but due to investigation and everything else, and then, you know, he had went on, I think he got drafted like fifth round to the Kansas City Chiefs, and then came back and then, you know, put all that stuff out there. And so it, it affected our senior class, and so we couldn't, we were 11-0 undefeated and throughout the entire SEC and everything else. And we couldn't play in a bowl game. So none of our games were televised. And so yeah. the things that really helped me is we had Wayne Gandy, who ended up going first round uh, to the Rams uh, when they were in L.A. And then James LA. Bostick. Yeah, James, James Bostick got drafted to the Rams as well. I think he was a third-round pick. And so they both went to the combine. I actually played in the uh, senior bowl, which actually helped me tremendously. And now I'm in the senior bowl hall of fame because I had, pre- had a pretty good game. And then – uh, so I didn't go to the combine, but I did have a pro day, which was their pro day, and I did pretty well. And so, 
you know, draft comes around and, you know, with no visibility and nothing else. It's like my agent said there's a good chance, you know, maybe fourth or fifth round or something like that. And mm-hmm. my name didn't get called. So I had to go yeah. a different route. So I was undrafted. And then my, which to this day, I still tell my agent, I thought he was uh, smoking something. He's like, Tony, I think the best opportunity is for you to go to the Cowboys. I'm like, man, listen, they, they got Emmitt Smith. They got Daryl Johnson. They got Tommy Agee. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had Daryl Lastic. They had uh, Lincoln Coleman. And we brought in uh, Blair Thomas. And I'm like, where do I fit in? So I ended up, uh, spend, yeah, so I ended up spending that first year uh, on practice squad, which is the best thing I think that could ever happen to me because Cowboys had just come off back-to-back Super Bowls. So I'm in a locker room with Super Bowl champions. You know, Emmett was a tremendous mentor. Michael Irvin mm-hmm. is the, uh, the one who actually gave me the name T-Rich. Uh, he used to force me to come work out with him on Tuesdays. Um, so they really showed me the way, and it really, you know, it's the best just for me to kind of sit back and see how pros go about their business. And then so I stayed there for the whole year. And then next year I look up, and I'm in the locker room with Ronnie Lott and, uh, and Marcus Allen. So I couldn't have asked for a better mentor. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good, um, you know, lead way to Bruce Johnson and yourself kind of, uh, Emmett Smith, that just landing as a, a free agent, do you think in Dallas was the best thing for your career? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Because I think, like I said, it really taught me, well, it taught me service. And that's like, you know, that's, as a fullback, um, you know, that's all it's about. Because at the end of the day, it's like you don't play fullback to play, you know, 16, 17 years. You don't play fullback to make it to the Hall of Fame. Uh, you mm-hmm. do it because you realize if you do your job, then the guy behind you or the quarterback can stand in the pocket or the guy behind you can rush for, you know, have a good day. And if you have a good day, we're going to win. And so for me, mm-hmm. you know, having that to see, you know, that dynamic between, you know, Moose and Emmett and how that worked, I think is the best thing. It also taught me humility. My rookie year, all I literally had to do was make sure Emmett had water and his helmet didn't hit the ground. So it was, uh, you know, humble because you come from Auburn. It's like you're the guy, you know. Right. You go for 11-0, and 0, next thing you know, you're not the guy. But it taught me humility. And then once I really started to, you know, I started on special teams and, you know, special team captain. And then from special teams, you know, I started to do short yards and goal line. And then from there, you know, once I got the starting position, I never looked back. The Tony, the fullback position itself is kind of being a, you know, digressing. It's been a dying breed in the NFL since you retired and you played 15 years in the league. 17. From the time you retired, 17. Okay. 17. I oh, apologize. Yeah, you got, you got this, that's, that's some pension yeah, credits, so man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got some pension credits. 17, man. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, yeah. You, you put in your work, man. And yeah. how much has the game changed from the time you left it to now? Well, you know, it's interesting because the full, it definitely, I mean, and it's the evolution of the, um, you know, the RPOs. Like, I don't even, yeah. Well, I, 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 I would say, you know, sometimes I look, I'm like, dang, I don't even know where I would play in some of these offenses. But listen, I watched the Monday night game, um, Raiders and Chiefs. They had a fullback in there smashing. I mean, they were, they were downhill yeah. and they were smashing the Chiefs with the run game. And so I, there's a full, there's fullbacks I, I, I definitely, you know, follow. Uh, I've had a chance to meet who's check out of 49ers. He's getting it done. Uh, Ricard, Ricard from, uh, from, uh, um, uh, from, from Baltimore. He's getting it done. Mm-hmm. Um, my man in uh, Minnesota, I just saw him a couple weeks ago. Um, he's getting it done. So, um, you know, there's some fullbacks in there that's still, you know, sticking their nose in there. But the thing about it, this league is, it, it just, everything repeats itself. So all, all of a sudden, the, the, the running game is still there. It just takes, you know, all of a sudden it takes like, you know, you look at the Raiders and they've coming straight downhill and almost beat the Chiefs. And I think if, maybe if they would have went for, kick that one and versus going for two, they had the momentum, maybe they win the ball game and they were winning it running football. So 
So I think when it gets to be the weather starts to get to be a little bit inclement, and you got to start, you know, you can't be throwing the ball over the park, and that's when that running game comes together. And the Patriots do the same thing. They'll just move a defensive lineman or they'll move a big tight end and move him to the backfield, but you're still getting your leads, your isos, and all those kind of things. And so, you know, hopefully, hopefully, uh, you know, if I ever have kids, they won't be like, man, what's a fullback? I'm like, yep, you know what, kid, it's just like dinosaurs. We used to exist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's crazy. But, uh, but I, I definitely agree with you. Now, now Tony, we, we had uh, Jim Trotter, uh, NFL Network analyst mm-hmm. on the show. It was a run iso drill. He was at covering practice. This is with the Chargers, and he said Fred McQuarrie and Junior mm. Seau met in the in the hall, and the, he said that Junior hit him so hard it split his helmet. I believe now, that. is is the concussions? The league is really trying to protect the players with mm-hmm. these hits, and then do you feel the NFL is doing the right thing by calling a lot of these rougher the passer calls and trying to protect these players? Yeah, and that's. Yeah, you know, I think those are kind of apples and oranges because for me, like the concussion protocol, obviously I just left league meetings and, you know, I have a chance to sit in, you know, a lot of these meetings and talk about different things. So I can understand the one thing, like Tua, like in that situation, like there's no way he should have been, one, allowed to come back in the game and two, being able to play the following week. But these hits on these quarterbacks, like, you know, obviously I'm a homer, I'm a Chiefs fan, and I still rock for my guys. Like, so Patrick Mahomes gets body slammed to the ground and he doesn't get that call. They, he very, they pretty much almost picked, uh, picked the quarterback, uh, what's his name? Picked him up, laid him down, David Carr, and took the ball yeah. away from him. He gets, so you know, it's one of those things, and it's like, and I'm never gonna pull the, the race car, but it's like certain guys don't get certain calls, and like when Cam right. was, was really rolling, like, there were so many times you could have called roughing the passer on Cam, but yet still, Tom Brady, you gotta pick him up, lay him down, make sure there's a pillow under his head. Right. So it's kind of one of those things that, you know, so that, I don't think that has anything to do with concussions, it's just like certain guys don't get certain calls, and, but that, that yeah. those two that that Tom Brady call and that um and that call on on Carmen I, I just I don't understand that because you can't yeah. you know I understand we want to make the game safer for the players but you know those things really influence the outcome of ball games and I, I don't think that has anything to do with concussion. Uh, is it good or bad for the game to see these type of calls? It really is changing. I thought Atlanta might have had a chance to win that yeah. game if they didn't get that rough in the passer against Brady. Oh yeah, no doubt. It's, I mean. And the biggest thing is just like, you know, it, it definitely affects the bottom line because it's like, it, it, and that's one thing that I know from the league standpoint, we always talk about the integrity of the shield. And that's the thing yeah. when you start to see things like that. Because fans aren't, I mean, fans are more knowledgeable now about the game of football than they've ever been, and women included. Because, you know, with fantasy football and obviously, you know, the gambling and everything else. Um, so when you see things like that, it doesn't add up. And it's like it doesn't make sense. And so those are the things that we got to continue to clean up. And I'm all about making the game because I, I never ever use that phrase, make the game safer, because that implies that the game's not safe. You know what? Is there things we can do from a healthy a health and safety standpoint to uh, try to alleviate, you know, situations where it can go bad? 1,000%. But I never use the phrase, hey, man, let's make the game safer, because that implies the game's not safe. And if it's not safe, we, sh- we shouldn't be doing it. But some of those things, like, you know, those, those kind of things right there, you know, I just, you know, you got to literally – have me sit in a, in a room with the referees and tell me why they made that call. You know, even to this day, I don't understand that. Yeah, for real. Tony, it's a lot going on in the sports world. I just want to get your opinion. Um, in the NBA, Draymond Green sucker punched. Not really sucker punched. A lot of people have different opinions on that. And I know in sports, there's a lot of altercations. And basketball is different from football. Yeah. But have you ever seen where 
there's been some sort of tension between players and it has been a fight in practice and it caused some sort of division or a problem within the team's success? No, you know, I can, you know, I was actually telling a buddy of mine, like, in football, fights happen all the time. I mean, you saw, obviously, that you saw, uh, uh, Darnold with the uh, helmet and obviously it was against someone else. But those fight, those things right there should never ever make to leave. And the thing is what caused it, what's going to cause a division in that is the fact that that, that tape actually got released. Because it was one thing, it was like, right. oh, okay, you know, they got into a fight. But another thing, when you see how the fight went down, so, you know, I can give you an example. When I was in Kansas City, and we were, uh, it was, you know, practice, it was hot, you know, everyone's irritable. Uh, it was during the regular season, and uh, I was running a screenplay, and so the quarterback kind of overthrew the ball on the screen, and I went up for it, and it was overthrown. And so the defensive back, I mean, the, the, the defensive lineman, you know, pushes me down to the ground. And I, everybody knows I'm very, very mild-mannered rarely ever lose my cool, whatever. And so he got up, he said, what you? And I literally, like, I went dark, and I picked him up, body slammed him, and snatched his face mask off. And from that day forward, God was like, oh, shoot. You know what I mean? But but that happens. But it didn't cause a division in, 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 the, in the team is because it's like you handle it, and you move on, you let it go. But, you know, it's just one of those things that's not something that you really want to do. But fights happen yeah. all the time. It's just like, you know, growing up, and that's one thing we always say is like, you know, I fought with my brothers. I didn't fight with my sisters because that probably would have, they probably would have scratched my eyes out. But you know, you, you fight. Family members, fight. Family, family members fight, but you, you know, you move on. But the thing move about on. in this particular case, now they chose this man's manhood because they're like, oh, he didn't fight back, and then the whole world right. saw that, and you know that went viral. So now, you know, they're gonna be like, shoot, Draymond did that to him. Everybody's gonna try him. So those are the kind of things that uh, try to uh, try not to let get out. But hopefully, get out the, you know, the, the public. Yeah. Cause then it gets, when it goes public, something to talk about. Oh yeah, it's over. Yeah, it's over. yeah, it gets ten times worse. Yeah. Um, you know, you see it all the time. Now, when it comes to to sportsmanship in sports, it's such a big thing. You see it a lot, you know, even at the high school level. But you know, recently at the end of the Alabama State and Jackson State game, Deion Sanders, head coach of, of Jackson State, doing a phenomenal job, and Eddie Robinson Jr. Uh, at Alabama State, you know, had a little bit of an exchange at the end of the game yeah. where there's a lot of talk of what's true and we don't know what happened, but yeah. he didn't accept his his his, uh, his embrace and kind of pushed him off. Was that a bad look or who who was wrong or right in that situation, in your opinion? Yeah, you know, I think in those situations, I, sometimes I don't really speak on them because without actually being there to see what led up to that, what might have been said earlier in the week and all those kind of things, because I know, you know, obviously going to Auburn, I know Eddie Robinson Jr. I actually know him really well. And so, uh-huh. you know, I didn't reach out because it's like, you know, that's their business. But also, like, right. you know, things are said sometimes, you know. I mean, it's not the first time exchanges have happened like that between, you know, coaches. I know that, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's the, uh, Nick Saban and, um, and Jimbo Fisher. Oh, I mean, Jimbo. They, yeah, they might go in. They might get into it here pretty soon. So it's just one of those things, and it's like, you know, you don't want to do that because, you know, one thing we try to teach our kids, um, you know, about sportsmanship. sportsmanship. And that's just poor sportsmanship. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, that's not, but you know, the one thing that I did notice, um, last week, uh, RG3 and, um, Shady McCoy, you know, they got into mm-hmm. it over a Twitter battle over something, 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 something. And the one who oh. calls it and calmed it down was Dion. Dion was like, listen, man, the banter is, is okay, but this is enough. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know what, OG, you know what, since Dion said it's enough, we squashed it. And so that's the things that, uh-huh. you know, cause he understands, like, we don't need, and so Mike Tomlin was my D coordinator. When I was in mm-hmm. when I was in Minnesota, and so Mike mm-hmm. D was talking about you know him and AD had you know had issues, and he was like, listen, you can't have the black head coach and the black star of the football team at odds. Like we got to figure out a way 
you know, to work that out. And the same thing with, like, when Herm Edwards was in Kansas City with Larry Johnson. You got to figure a way to work that out because that's not a good look. And we need to, we need to, ask, we got to do better. And so when you see yeah. something like that, it's discouraging because it's like, you know, and you understand how it goes. If, if it's, you know, well, I can just say a classic example. In hockey, you can take the gloves off and fight. And they're like, oh, it's just right. a man's sport. But in football, you get into a fight. In basketball, it's a fight. Oh, look at them thugs. Like, what's the difference? You know right, what I mean? It's like, right, and, yeah, it's, yeah. And, it's, and, and you know, for us, it's like the goal, the goal post is always narrow and the goal post is always further back. So for us as, you know, as brothers and sisters, you know, I hate to see mm-hmm. stuff like that because we need to be right. unified and understanding how hard it is for any of us to get those positions. And then when you're in that position, like, you, you understand that there's a lot of people that have eyes on you and they're waiting for something to talk about and they're waiting clickbait. for, you know, that clickbait all day long. So, yeah, so mm-hmm. that, that was disappointing. Now, what are your thoughts on Dion and the job that he's doing at Jackson State, Tony? Is he – there's a lot of rumors he could go to Auburn if they let – the coach go Arizona State, Nebraska. There's a lot of openings, um, you know, popping up in the D1 landscape. He might go to a Power Five. Do you think he'll stay at Jackson State and and, and lead them on to something special, or do you think he could plateau to somewhere else? Um, you know, I know Dion has all. I mean, he's obviously head coach. I know he's always wanted them opportunities. Me personally, I mean, the job that he's doing and giving and understanding that that you don't have to go to an Auburn or to an Alabama or to a Tennessee to get recognized. And so and I like the fact that our young men are going to HBC, HBCUs, and I'm knowing that a lot of them are going because of Dion. And so, you know, if he gets that opportunity, obviously it's something to celebrate. Because like you said, there's, you look around the street, you look around the NFL, I mean, there's only about, what, three coaches that look like us. So it's like, and then you look at an NCAA, maybe five, I don't even know. So if Dion was able to get one of those jobs, you celebrate it. But in the same sense, you know, you just got to take your hat off for the job he's done and the way he's turned that program around and, and the way he's getting, like, top recruits to say, you know what, this is where I want to play. And, you know, because one thing we always understand is if you can play, they're going to find you. But now having Dion there and that visibility, um, you know, now kids are getting more opportunities. Because I think they said last year in the draft there was not one player drafted from HBCU, and that's, that's ridiculous. Yeah. That's, 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 that's crazy. crazy. Yeah. Now, now Tony, I'll just touch on that for a second because a lot of people are talking about Dion's son, Shador Sanders, uh, should be up for the Heisman. I know before yeah. we've had guys come close, like Steve McNair at Alcorn had an amazing career. Do you think there'll come a time where we see a HBCU be a candidate or possibly win Heisman? It, 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 I, and the only reason I say this, it's going to be difficult because it looks, you know, it's like they look at like the the level of competition. You know what I mean? Which is which is yeah, crazy because yeah. everyone's playing well. But if you got a kid like uh, the quarterback from Alabama and he goes out and they go undefeated. Um, and, you know, Bryce, Bryce yeah. Young, he, they go undefeated, yeah. and he throws for 500 yards a game against, you know, Power 5 school, he's going to win the Heisman. And it's unfortunate because uh, at some of the HBCUs, they got to throw for 5,000 yards a game. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah. – and it's just like it's, it's going to be difficult, but I do think, you know, hopefully here in the near future that, you know, that can happen. So – because yeah. everybody deserves. It's still Division One football, so if you put up the numbers, then you should definitely get – you should definitely get looked at. But, you know, yeah, it's always yeah. going to be like, well, who's the level of competition – and because you even know, even the kids in the, the the D1, and if you're a Heisman candidate, you lose one game, you're done. It's over. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, oh, and he had two picks. He had two picks against such and such. Your, your Heisman race is done. Yeah, Sedora's balling. There's, I mean, yeah, he's putting up okay. the numbers. Oh yeah, and his no name I think is just synonymous. You know, Sanders. I think his father being Dion oh, yeah. helps. Yeah, yeah, definitely helps for sure. Tony, you play with a a lot of great running backs. Uh, I mentioned them in the intro. 
you know, you playing um, with with uh, Priest Holmes, Larry Johnson, Thomas Jones, uh, and uh, some others. Uh, and, and Tony's world, who are the who's your Mount Rushmore of running backs? Who's your top five running backs of all time? Ooh, see, I, see, I get that question quite a bit, and it's very different because of different eras. And me and Thomas yeah. Jones, like like TJ, we would always we always sit together on the plane and, and uh, either going out to games or coming back home. He would always watch different films and see how he can take some different, you know, players. Um, if I had to go in my top five, um, I mean, my number one, and this is a guy I looked up to, and I get a chance to spend a little bit of time with him here living in New York. But um, you know, you got you always you always have to go Jim Brown. I mean, because Jim Brown could play in any era. I mean, he could play in the sixties, the seventies, eighties, nineties. I mean, he could play right now. You know, obviously, if he was, you know, if he was a lot younger. So my number one is always Jim Brown. Um, but then you start looking at, I mean, it's different, different styles of running back. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you gotta go Emmett. I mean, you gotta go Emmett number two because he's an all-time leading rusher. You know what I mean? But then a lot of people say, mm-hmm. well, look at his offensive line. If Barry had that offensive line, he's had 40,000, 40,000 yards. Right. So, Emmett's two, I gotta go. I mean, it's, that's tough, man. Cause you, you got, you still got Gail Sayers. You still got, you know, Marcus Allen, who I blocked for. You still got, uh, Adrian Peterson, who's obviously one of the most gifted running backs, Ladanian. So it's, it's hard to go top five, but you know yeah. I'm always I'm definitely I'm gonna say you know I would say one two three, Jim Brown, uh, I would say Emmitt Smith, Gail Sayers, Marcus Walter. I mean you got yeah, so we'd have to go we'd have to go top ten. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not putting no order because my boys are like yeah. oh, okay yeah where am I? I'm like I, yeah yeah you got to keep yeah Ladavian. Man, it's hard, Man. bro. It really is. It really is. And, 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 and I mean, the crazy part about it, when, El, when uh, Priest got hurt, LJ went on a tear. LJ rushed for 1,800 yards in, like, nine games. Yeah. Like, it was insane. Like, it, yeah, LJ was a beast. He was a dog. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I've had some good guys. Thomas Jones is always – that's my guy. I hope he um, gets a nod at the Hall of Fame, you know, sooner than later. So, you know, it's, it's, a, lot of, it's a lot of good backs out there, man. I mean – Now, now, as far as linebackers you played against, Tony – is there anybody you know you have to, you know, strap up the chin, strap tight against, or somebody you hated playing against? No, nah, I'm going to tell you, God rest his soul, and you mentioned his name earlier, the hardest linebacker, because I used to have to try to block Derek Thomas in practice, and I don't think I'd ever block him. But thank God he was always mm-hmm. on my team. You know, Ray Lewis, you know, you, you know what it was. It was going to be an all-day sucker, and he's coming downhill. The hardest guy I had to block was uh, was Junior Seau, just simply because, first of all, Junior was so smart, and he would do things that probably he wasn't coached to do. So I'm like, okay, I'm supposed to block him in the front side. Hey, he didn't run around the back side hey, and pull the running back down mm. in the backfield. So like, but the thing about it was Junior was so, so elusive that he could he could fill the hole, but then he can also make you look like a fool because he can he can stop on the dime and and overlay you, and then you slide up the field and he didn't make the tackle for a loss. So, you know, Junior was probably one of the hard, and he was just you know he was one of the I mean smartest guys I ever played against, and and I had to see him quite a bit because you know uh, when he was with the Chargers in uh, San Diego. Um, I was with the Chiefs, and so I had to see him twice a year. And it was just like, you just never knew what he was going to do. We had to come up with, change the blocking scheme. And that's for me. And I know Dion, I mean, uh, Dion had mentioned that. Like, he said, man, I don't even go back to the Hall of Fame no more because not knocking the guys that are in, but he was like, there needs to be levels to Hall of Fame. He was like, there's, yeah. he's like, there's an upper room. And he's like, I'm in the upper room. And they're just letting guys in because they got to put five guys in. But, and for me, I look at stuff like that and I'm just like, when they had to change, the, when you have to change the blocking scheme for someone, that guy's in the Hall of Fame. So if you look at a guy like like Lawrence Taylor, like when you knew that, hey, you know what, we had to start paying left tackles a lot of money because if he, if you don't, that he gonna kill your quarterback. 
he's in the he's in the upper room. Like Deion Sanders, like don't even look that way. You look over there, he's gonna make you pay. So it's just kind of those those guys, the Jonathan Ogdens, the Will Shields, the Willie Rose that's in the upper room, and you know, like yeah. the the, the tos, the Jerry Rice, like those guys. It's like okay, that's the upper room, and then there's there's, there's the rest of the guys. But um, yeah, I would definitely say Junior was probably the hardest guy I had yeah, to it's, have. It's, uh, yeah. It's it's levels to this, Tony. I hear you, man. That's definitely it's levels. Real. Yep. Yeah, now, you played with some great uh, teammates. Any favorite teammate of all time you played? That uh, that special group, man, that uh, I think it was 2002, 2001, 2000 Chiefs. Man, you yeah. guys had some dogs. That whole team, yeah. I mean, you guys had Tony Gonzalez, Dante Hall, uh, Priest. Yep. Yourself, man, the whole line was just stacked with Waters yep. and, and, and Rolf, Tate. I mean, all they had some, yep. uh, all those guys, man. You guys led the league in Russia and broke the Russian record for a season. Exactly. Um, is there, is there any teammate that, that, that was a good friend for yours off the field or just someone that you always tap in with? Yeah, I, w- I would probably say sorry about that. Um, definitely, um, you know, Priest, Priest and I were super close. Like, he would come over to my house on Thursday nights. He had the key to my house. He knew the garage code. Like, I hear the door open. I'm like, two in the morning, priest on the couch. You know what I mean? Like, you know, so priest was, priest was definitely like a brother to me. Uh, Tony Gonzalez, uh, actually performed, uh, Tony Gonzalez's wedding. Um, so Tony and I are extremely close. Cause you know, it's one of those things like our offense was just, like you mentioned, it was just a close knit group. And you know, the guy yeah. that kept everyone together was, uh, was Trent Green. I mean, Trent was an absolutely incredible teammate. Um, you know, he was a family man. Uh, he was mm. committed. And I think the re- the reason why, I- you know, Trent was able to not win over the locker room, but he came in. You got to imagine, like, Trent was that guy at St. Louis, and then he tears his knee, he hurts his knee. Kurt Warner comes in, and then, you know, and then it's like, oh, okay, Trent's on the back burner. Then we got Trent, and he was still kind of injured and rehabbing his knee, and I've never seen anyone work harder. And that's the thing about it. It's like different people have different leadership styles. You, mm-hmm. you, Some people lead by example, and that's what Trent did. He was, I mean, we're sprinting. He's right up there with the fast guys. Lifting weights, he had right up there lifting. So it's kind of one of those things like when you see your quarterback, and that's why we fought so hard because it's like, you know what, if Trent can do this and he's coming off a knee injury, I mean, what's our excuse? You know what I mean? So, yeah, we had a close-knit group. So I've had a, you know, like I said, uh, you know, uh, uh, Emmett, you know, really took me on, on his wing. And I, every time I see him, I still say thank you because if it wasn't for Emmett, if it wasn't guys like Jason Garrett who, you know, literally taught me the entire playbook when I thought they was about to get my butt up out of Dallas. <laughs> And he literally pulled me aside and, and taught me the whole playbook. You know, Marcus, I mean, uh, uh, you look at, uh, uh, Michael Irvin. I mean, Michael Irvin literally yeah. used to make me come work out on Tuesday mornings. Like I said, he coined, he gave me the name T. Rich. And so, you know, I've had a lot of great teammates, a lot of great mentors. So that's been pretty cool. How good was, we had, uh, Coach Rubinsky on, Dante Hall on, and they, they echoed Tony Gonzalez's work ethic. Yeah. Um, what, how good was he? Is he the greatest tight end in your eyes? How good of a teammate was he? I know Travis Kelsey is rewriting the book of Kansas City tight ends right now. Oh, yeah, at that, at that particular time, I mean, Tony was, I mean, he arguably still probably one of the greatest tight ends, well, not one of the greatest, he was one of the greatest tight ends ever played. Obviously, Travis is, you know, doing some different things. But, you know, the one thing I, I really admire about Tony was his work ethic. And, and so I don't know if a lot of people know, Tony's rookie year, he led the entire National Football League in drops. And so, he was miserable, and you know we've gone through a lot, a lot of, you know, just great—not great, but just kind of like bonding moments of like, you know, second guessing. They were like he was a bust and all that kind of stuff. And so mm-hmm. that day forward, after that year, he would be out. He'd be the first guy out catching 100 balls before practice, 
everything that's shown during practice and maybe another 100, 200 after practice. So when you see someone like that who transforms, not, you know, it wasn't like he had to reinvent the wheel because he was a great athlete, he was a basketball player, a, a great tight end, but he committed himself to where he's never going to be that guy again. And for me to see that work ethic, and those are the things that I love telling, you know, um, a lot of the young kids now just because it's uh, – I tell a lot of the young kids now that, uh, you know what, it's just like I look at guys like Dante Hall, and it's like, you know what, they're like, oh, I'm too small. I'm like, no, there's no such thing. Because then one thing, one muscle you can't judge is someone's heart. And Tony mm-hmm. had heart. Dante had heart. I mean, you look at Priest Holmes, undrafted, you know, went on to be one of the greatest running backs in, in Chiefs history and, and, and in the NFL. So, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, I love stories like that. Well, Tony, lastly, if you could sit and have dinner with two people, dead or alive, who would they be? Uh, you know, I, you know, when I saw that question, there's uh, obviously, and I'm just saying it'll be of my two, but obviously just sitting down with my dad just because I look at all the, you know, life lessons and, you know, things that, you know, that he's taught me and showed me throughout the years. But if I had to say on that scale, I would definitely say, you know, Jim Brown, I would have loved to have been able, well, still can, but he's, you know, I saw him at the Hall of Fame and he's obviously slowing down tremendously. But I would love this because, you know, you're talking about paving the way, not only for yeah. running backs, but for African-Americans in sports. You know what I mean? Like, that. Yeah. I mean, that that would be an ultimate, you know, sit down, obviously. And then the second Muhammad Ali, same way, like, you know, literally mm. put his, you know, put everything on the line. And there, there's no Tony Richardson without, you know, obviously you could start talking, you know, Jackie Rock. I mean, there's a lot of guys, but for me in my mm. world, like, obviously uh, Muhammad Ali and Jim Brown, because they, for mm-hmm. me, in football oh, – okay. And, you know, obviously Jackie Robinson and just sports alone, there's no Tony Richardson without, you know, any of those three guys. Yeah, that was my father's favorite, Jim Brown. Oh, my yeah, goodness, yeah. He's a beast. Well, thank you, Tony. I really appreciate you taking the time. If you could just let our audience know um, just any way to follow or support any work that you're doing right now. Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing is um, my Twitter account is uh, at, at 49TRich. Uh, is my Twitter account, and then my Instagram is Tony Rich NY. Uh, it's private, but I do I do accept. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on a lot of different boards, and I do I'm on the board for the Boys and Girls Club. We got a huge capital campaign uh, here for the kids in Queens. Uh, I do a lot of work with Special Olympics and things of that nature. But I'm always posting different things, and if you see something you like it, you know, repost it. And then if there's ways you want to kind of contribute, most of the time I put the links um, when I have something going on. I put them on the top of my uh, on my account, so I really appreciate that. Thanking you for your time, this time, until next time. Tony Richardson, ladies and gentlemen. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Thank All you, right, man. Appreciate okay. you coming on. Oh, no problem, man.